Hello and welcome to the Food Fight podcast from EIT Food, exploring the greatest challenges facing the food system and the innovations and entrepreneurs looking to solve them. I'm Matt Eastland. And I'm Lakshmi Balthasan. And today we're focusing on alternative proteins, two words we regularly hear together on the show, and for anyone who's interested, 24 points on a Scrabble board. But what do alternative proteins actually mean when it comes to our health? Hmm, yeah, the amount of alternative proteins making their way into market has skyrocketed in recent years. And to us, it's really exciting, you know, from plant-based to insect to 3D printed proteins, the options are just getting larger and of course, tastier. But are they really good for us? And are we asking the right question when it comes to alternative proteins and our health? I'd like to welcome Dr. Simone Fry, the founder of Nutrition Hub, a food think tank and Europe's largest community for nutrition experts based out of Berlin. Nutrition Hub supports companies in driving innovation processes, in setting sustainable nutrition strategies, and in creating marketing campaigns. Simone's also an advisor to Farm and Food 4.0 and to the EIT Foods Rising Food Stars Network. Hi, Simone. Lovely to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you, Matt, for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Brilliant. And we also are joined by Josephine Quist, a medical student at the University of Aarhus based in Denmark, and she's also the founder and CEO of Nutrition, a company creating protein-enriched crumbs made from potato waste and go by the name of ProCrumbs. Super interesting. Nutrition is also an alumni of the EIT Food Seedbed Incubator Program, so it's a real pleasure to have you on the show today, Josephine. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Brilliant. Great to have you both. Okay, so Lakshmi and I were actually talking about where the term alternative proteins actually came from. So we've had lots of different people on the show talking about alternative protein startups and the products and services, but we kind of just got to thinking, so, you know, where does it come from and why alternative? Why does alternative protein have to be called alternative? So before we actually go into what both of you do, could we just quickly talk about what an alternative protein product is and how it differs from for example, meat? And should it be even called alternative protein? Simone, I'd be interested to get your thoughts. Well, first of all, what are proteins in general? They belong to the group of macronutrients, which humans consume in relatively large quantities compared to vitamins and minerals, and which provide us, humans, with energy. And yeah, in the past... There were two types of, in the past, still up to now, there are two types of protein sources. One is animal-derived and the other one is plant-derived. And now with the world's population predicted to exceed 9 billion or maybe 10 billion by 2050, we need or there's a projected increase in the demand for protein. And this is where various experts and professionals came up with the term alternative protein sources to animal-derived proteins. And do you think it makes alternative protein, again, Lakshmi and I were just talking before the show, do you think it makes it sound authentic? You know, does it make people fear like a protein if it's alternative? And again, it's just, just something we were throwing around. But I mean, Josephine, what do you think? Is this the right term for this? I think it's a bit misguided, actually, because, you know, plant protein has been a part of the human, you can say, food map for such a long time. It's not something new. 
if you like look away from uh, the fact that like with the grass protein and with the insects protein, now we are moving out to a more alternative route. But to say plant-based protein is alternative, that's I don't think it's true, but it it's true what Simone says. We need more protein sources to cover the need for humans. For me as a professional health professional, I don't see the proteins as animal-based or plant-based protein, actually. I see it as, do the protein provide enough essential need for the human being? So if it does, then it's a, like great. So alternative, maybe not so much. I think, Josephine, also adding to this is that it mainly came from the market, the startups and the industry um, from the term alternative protein products. Hmm. So it's more from the food itself than from science. So I'm a, I'm a nutrition scientist. That's my, my background. And as I said before, there are plant proteins and there are animal derived proteins. But if you think about new products, alternatives to products we've had in our diets the last centuries, then the term alternative, I think is a good term, is, is fine. But just the term alternative proteins is, as Josephine said, a bit misleading. Mm, it's almost like it should be alternative sources of protein. It's not an alternative protein, because a protein is a protein, if I remember my undergrad biochemistry correctly. <laughs> but yeah. So, Simone, so what is your link with alternative protein? What does alternative proteins have to do with your work in Nutrition Hub? Well, Nutrition Hub is, yeah, as you said, a think tank and community for nutrition experts. And what we do is, on the one hand, we work with companies uh, with the innovation departments on innovation strategies, but on the other hand, with the marketing departments. For example, when it comes to marketing strategies for these new products. This is what we do on the one hand. On the other hand, we also publish reports. Our, our famous report is our nutrition trend report. Uh, for this report, we select nutrition experts from our community and we ask them about nutrition trends they observe in their work. The last one was published in January this year, so it's every January. We select 10 nutrition trends. Number one this year was plant-based and vegan nutrition. Number two was personalized nutrition. And number three was sustainable and climate neutral nutrition. And from these two, so working with the companies on innovation strategies and uh, marketing these new products and our own reports, this is my connection to alternative proteins and alternative protein, new products. <laughs> Got it. Brilliant. Thank you. And what about you, Josephine? You have a really interesting career history and background. So tell us a little bit about how you got into the plant-based protein products industry. <laughs> well, if you have said or if you have told me that three years ago that I would be in this kind of industry and trying to promote something alternative protein or plant protein, I would be like, what? No. As a medical student, you have your world in the hospital world. And I just stumbled upon how many patients, like I was to take care of the patients and this include what they ate. And to see plate after plate after plate with potato mass just thrown out or a gravy. And then if that didn't work, then they would have the drinking yogurt. And I was like, well, 
this cannot be like you need proper fuel for the body to heal. So why is it that we don't have other solutions? So and this was my beginning in the journey of the entrepreneurial thought, because even though I am a research assistant at the hepatology and gastroenterology department, science take years, decades. Mm -hmm. And for me to do something where I could see like this it's not a quick fix, but what I ended up doing was actually creating a protein enrichment. There are so much protein enrichment in the form of animal-based proteins. So I was, what could I do differently than what was done before? And then I stumbled upon the potato waste firm here in Denmark, and they were claiming that this was a quality plant-based protein, that this was actually something that could cover the need. And I was like, this is amazing. How come, how, how can we use it? And when I got it in my hand, I was like this gray powder that didn't taste very good. And I was like, well, this it's not going to work. You have such a low appetite as a sick person. So to force them eat something that is like almost to eat dirt almost, I was like, no, this, it's not going to work. So I began collaborating with different uh, technological institutes here in Denmark and China and went out and testing and nursing homes and hospitals and worked with the kitchens for the hospitals to how can we protein in which food with plant-based protein, which has quality and still have actually a proper taste, a delicious apple cake or something like that. So this is why we are promoting programs right now and why Nutrilution is actually like started. That, that's amazing. What a need that you've spotted there. And can I just clear up? So you obviously saw the need because there was lots of potato waste, but you're you're enriching the potato with protein or you're somehow managing to extract protein from what is essentially a carb? How, how, it's an enrichment, is it? Yeah, well, the thing is, a potato is 99% carbs. So there is 1% protein. But if that protein that was beforehand thrown out or given to the pigs, the company found a solution to actually extract the protein. And what we do in Nutrilution is actually we take this excess of protein and put it in a food matrix to provide it uh, to give an ingredient kind of feeling to, and then we work it in the hospital, nursing and care home facilities. That's amazing. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Well, why, why don't we talk about the quality then and get into the topic about health? So, I mean, you've already started to pick this up, I think, between the both of you. But so I'm assuming, therefore, that not all proteins are the same in terms of nutritional value. So in the alternative protein space, are there ones that you kind of rank higher? It sounds like there is a scale here on plant-based proteins that you're going to say, well, this one is actually high quality, this one maybe not quite as high. Is is that is that fair? Simone, what do you think? Well, we yes, there is a scale, there is a ranking, and we have to add to this ranking. The ranking is the biological value. And mm. there is a ranking because, yes, research has been able to identify which amino acids are in which source of a food. And now when we speak about this ranking, we are speaking or it refers to the, to the natural form of that food. So we speak about potato. It's an egg. It's a piece of meat. It's an, not a processed food. This is not applying to alternative protein products that are on the market. Mm -hmm. In general, to make this short, animal 
um, derived proteins have an average biological value of 80%, so it's a higher value than the plant-based proteins, which have an average of 70%. And uh, what is important in a diet to eat healthy is to combine the protein sources with each other to increase their biological value. For example, potato and an egg has the highest biological value of 120 or 30 or something. But nevertheless, there are still ongoing myths that a vegan diet, which does only contain plant-based proteins, cannot cover the protein needs we have. But this is a myth, so science was able to show that this is not valid anymore and that it is the other way around that if we eat too much animal-derived proteins that this can actually harm our health, can lead to cancer or increase the risk for cancer for type 2 diabetes or has, is affecting our acid-based metabolism or homeostasis. I think the interesting thing here is the fact that we hear this debate, particularly from consumers, all mm. the time. Everyone says, seems to say, yeah, but if you follow a vegan diet or a plant-based diet, you're never going to get the protein that you need because meat is better for you. And that's what we hear all the time. So it's, it's actually really nice just to have people come on. It's like, no, actually, scientifically, that's not the case, which is super useful. Uh, and Josephine, I, I see you kind of nodding along as we've been talking about this. I, I suppose you agree with all this. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do. I think the thing about to say that you cannot cover your needs from a protein from a plant—that's not true. I was always explained this is like if you have a bucket and you want to fill it with water, if you have a hole in the bottom of the bucket, like if you're not covering a certain amino acid, like one of the building blocks in the protein difference, if you don't have this, then there would be a hole in the bottom bottom of the bucket and then even like if you just fill up the more water then you will not fill the bucket up because it would just go out the hole. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To say that meat maybe gives higher mortality or give cancer and so on it's such a complex um, because if you if you eat a red steak then probably maybe you would also have a glass of wine right or you would even take a a cigarette in the part of the evening. So are we to say that it was the meat that gave you cancer or was it the cigarettes or was it the wine? I will go along with the thing that the plants, I know there is some research that the plants give some more vitamins and minerals like the people covered that basis more and maybe that's giving the health benefits of our plant-based diet. Like I think the overall belief from my point of view is that a protein is a protein but it's like the bioavailability and then that you have fulfilled your needs like you fill the bucket then it doesn't like then there are no different and i guess two terms that it would be interesting for both of you to unpick because i know you're experts so we talk about biological value and bioavailability so layman's terms what do they mean <laughs> it means like do it go over the gut wall so a high bioavailability is it my understanding that it go over the wall and the cells can actually take up the nutrients? Right. Okay. So it's actually like it actually is incorporated into sort of your your physical healthy being instead of being just excreted away. 
So if you have the high, like if you just have uh, something uh, source that have hundred uh, percent protein, if you can only absorb availability is only ten percent, then then you only have ten percent of like proteins. In Got there. it. So right. So even if you see I see on a package like my protein bars that I eat, if it says thirty grams, I might not actually be getting all of that thirty grams. Okay, no. that's really interesting to know. And Simone, biological value. So first step is we eat. The food enters the mouth, the stomach, and then the intestine. And it's not like 100% of the food is incorporated into our body. That's bioavailability. It's only a certain percentage. And now once it is in our body, the amino acids at this time, only a certain percentage can be used for building muscles, being part of an enzymes or used in the body. It's only a certain percentage. So 100% is every amino acid in the protein that is taken up through the intestine is put into a structure in our body. But this mm. is not the case for any food alone. It's on average 80% for animal proteins and 70% for plant proteins. Got it. Okay. That's the quality of proteins. So Josephine, do you know a, what is a very low uh, quality protein source? A wheat or yeah. something like that, right? Wheat, wheat protein, wheat, for example. Yeah. yeah. Wheat protein. Okay, so wheat protein is low bioavailability. Yes. And at the same time, very important if you follow a vegan diet to combine it, for example, with uh, legumes and other. It's complicated, but we try to make it, it, it simple. Is, well, <laughs> well, this is why we're talking about it, which is this is super useful because actually, again, most people think, okay, if I have this protein, then I'm getting enough protein. But what you're actually saying is, it's not really about that. It's about the way that you combine what you're eating to make sure that you're then getting the nutrients you need from, for example, alternative proteins, which I think, again, is super useful and not something I think people necessarily know mm. about. So that's that's yeah, amazing. I agree. And you were talking before about you were saying, OK, well, this is just the protein we're talking about. We're not talking about it as a product. But I was wondering if we could talk about alternative protein products in terms of their health or benefits or not. So, I mean, we know that there are a whole variety of variations in processing methods. So you take your kind of raw protein, you process it, you add salt, you add fat. How, as a consumer, do we know that an alternative protein product is good for us? And is there anything we should be looking out for? Josephine, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, how do you decide? Because I know you are you are really big into health and fitness. Yeah. Well, or do you just go raw, raw protein, uh, raw protein all the time? No, I'm, not, I'm a student also, so something <laughs> 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 about the thing. You can be promised a lot. Like there are so many products who promise you the world that they have the best protein, like the best protein, that this is the highest bioavailability, that this is the... So what I think is important for you as a consumer is to find protein sources that works for you. So if you love beans, legumes, if you love like um, getting your protein from um, dal, Indian food or something like that, then do that. And don't get caught up in the argument that this is better than this. Like just what works for you is generally the thing I think is best. 
as a medical professional, I would say, please do make sure to have some kind of vegetables and fruits in your diet. Like if you if you have a protein source, like and if you want to eat more plant-based, then get it from different sources and have some vegetables, have some fruits and cover your needs in that way. And then don't worry about like a 2% better uh, like bioavailability. That wouldn't be like beneficial for no one. Mm. Yeah. So a diversity of of a protein yeah. sources in your products is super helpful. Thank you for that. And don't fall for the thing like this is better than this. It's so not that simple. Yeah, unless someone's created some sort of new amino acid that we don't know about incorporated into a protein. You're right. Yeah, we have the basic yeah. building blocks. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Simone? What do you think? Do you think there's a specific product or source of alternative proteins currently right now that's better than the status quo? meat Ooh, better than the status quo <laughs> so first of all yeah let's start with a product and an alternative that has been in the market for a long time and that's milk and plant-based alternatives which by the way in germany they cannot be called milk anymore so mm. i'm not sure if that's um, all over europe the same thing but yeah, so in Germany, they are called a plant drink made from almonds, for example. So if you think about milk from cows, it's a quite uh, simple product because it's always the same. It has the same uh, amount of protein, same amount of fat, maybe low fat, but it's a standardized product and it is the same all the time. That means it is also easy to put it into the official recommendations for a population, the dietary recommendations. And this is why milk, for example, the German Nutrition Society gives recommendations about milk and how much we are able or we should consume. Now, when you think about plant-based alternatives, we have a drink made from almonds, we have a drink made from oats, we have now startups like Fly Foods with a drink made from peas. Um, so there are various uh, sources and this product category itself is very different. And they all follow or would like to follow the clean label movement. So to have a very, very simple ingredient list because the raw materials are so different, so are the end products as well. And that means if you compare them and you would like, or scientists would like to put them into the official recommendations, but as this category is so different, you cannot say drink a glass of milk, but you can also use a glass of an oat drink or an almond drink because they are not comparable. So again, I would go back or I would like to go back. I think the term plant-based, a plant-based diet is a very, very good one. I think this is the term tells everything. It's plant-based. It doesn't mean eating a plate of pasta with a little bit of tomato sauce. It's fine. You can eat that as well. But it means plant-based. Thinking about in the morning, for lunch, for evening, 
the basis, the core of my plate should be from plants, from legumes, from nuts, from vegetables. And it also doesn't mean eating a, a, a salad of green lettuce where you feel like afterwards I'm still hungry. This is not plant-based. So coming back to your question, <laughs> there is not one product that is the healthiest. It is again about plants at the core, variety of different plants on the plate and adding other food products, adding an oat uh, drink, that's fine. But this is how I I see that. Yeah, mm. I love that. Yeah, so it's it kind of, what you're saying is it sort of goes beyond just a label of something like an alternative protein. You're saying, no, no, if you we should focus on having plant-based, that actually makes it easier to understand and it gives people a broader view of what they should be eating. It doesn't mean that you get people just focusing on, I must eat this, I must eat that. It's, it allows you to kind of have this breadth of beautiful mm. foods, which is which is a really good message, I think. Josephine, is, I know that you're big into your health and fitness and I was wondering, do you find any like benefits from focusing more on a like alternative proteins or plant-based diet um versus you know like conventional proteins do you get any more from this do you find it makes you feel better or is your performance better do you find there are benefits from from your side i say i'm fortunate that i have been in actually in this community because it means that i have access to protein sources that i didn't even know existed beforehand I have access to the potato protein. I have access to different like seaweed protein or something like that. But I, I will not lie in the matter of, I think it's a tr it has been tricky to incorporate in the diet because it's such, it's a new thing. So mm -hmm. how, how, how can I incorporate it in my diet? But what I found helped me a lot was actually to focus on having the plant-based diet as Simone like uh, mentioned. That for me, as a bodybuilder, air quote, bodybuilder, that if I supplied my diet with a lot of fruits and so on and so on and plants, then I was more filled, like in my, I felt satisfied than if I just ate pasta or carbs or bread or something like that. So that helped me a lot. But, and I ate, I ate a lot of eggs, I would say. That also, <laughs> actually, but um, and then a lot of, yeah broccoli and so on so on i wouldn't recommend like broccoli and chicken it's yeah <laughs> then it's more exciting to have some alternative plant-based protein sources yeah i think both things you, you you know you talked about you know eating a natural source right just eating the eggs and simone you talked about having a uh having a plate of vegetables and being sensible about your diet but we're seeing a growth of these alternative protein products such as the beyond burgers you know they're marketed as vegan products. They're made of plants, but we're also hearing a lot and they're really being marketed on the sustainability factor, right? When we think about these alternative proteins, we always talk about sustainability. And the one thing that always comes to me is no one's really talking about the health of these products. Mm. So these products are good for the planet, but are they good for people's health? Yeah, well, I don't think so, but it is true. It, it started with the sustainability factor. And we also actually carried out an event last year called Alternative Proteins Radically Change Our Diets, but are they actually nutritious? And we discussed nice. exactly about this. So now if you think about markets, innovations, and how they develop and mature, 
This is how it started from this perspective of animal welfare, sustainability, but the fact of being aware about the nutrition, uh, nutrients in these foods, no one is yet concerned or talking about it, but it will come. These products entered the market and for sure they will not go away. And as soon as so in many scientists or many scientific organizations are actually working on incorporating them into the official guidelines, dietary guidelines. Once this is done, it's also much more transparent for consumers to know is the oat milk or the almond milk, is it on top of the food pyramid? Is it something I should consume not a lot or is it comparable to a glass of milk? Same with the burger patty. Is a burger patty from Beyond Meat or others, they start to do these comparisons, but can I compare this from a nutritional point of view to a piece of meat? And once it is incorporated in the official guidelines, it will make the market more transparent. It will help consumers to know what they get. And it will also boost the market for these products. So another interesting fact we, for example, observed in our nutrition trend report was that those experts who work as nutrition therapists or run their own nutrition consultation, they observe more and more people asking them, I want to change my diet. I want to eat more plant-based. I want to eat more vegan. But I am afraid at the same time that I may have a deficiency and I need mm -hmm. your support. I am also not confident which milk, for ex which alternative plant drink I should choose. Mm -hmm. And as long as, or let's say, let's say positively, which I believe is the next phase, as soon as we make this more transparent and consumers know what they get and they know how to compare this drink, this vegan egg product, this burger patty, as soon as they know how to compare and where they fit into official guidelines, the market is more transparent. We know better what is healthy and what is less healthy. But Got this it. is not the case. It will come in the next years. It will take some mm. time to do the studies about that. Yeah, and I guess consumers are becoming more and more aware about what alternate proteins mean. And and like you said, people asking the questions, right? Like, is this what's equivalent to my daily consumption of milk? And so, Josephine, like, you know, it's really interesting that you were saying that you became an accidental entrepreneur and being a doctor, you saw the need of healthy diets for your patients and alternate proteins playing a role. So is this something that you did on your own or like Simone was saying, is this, do you kind of see the the healthcare profession and becoming aware of these different protein sources and being able to advise? Or is that really a job for the nutritionist like Simone? Unfortunately, in the Danish system, there is a downsizing of dietitians in the hospital setting. And this is such a shame, actually, because there are more and more research that 
if you are malnourished when you come into hospital, you are admitted twice as much, you have a higher mortality rate, you this and this and this. What I was so baffled about was when I presented like this patient isn't eating, what can I offer them? And I was just stuck this drink in my hand, like the drinking yogurt, and they were like, give them this. And then when you try to give it to the patient or the elderly or whoever I came upon, they were like, oh, it doesn't taste that good. And can we please not? And so Mm. they try like it's a very experimental phase right now in the care setting that they try to supply the meals with plant-based options and they're trying to make meal plans where it's only from like plant-based but the thing is and what is so interesting they can't get it up to the level they need to actually with the product they have in hand Mm -hmm. they can't sufficient give the protein need to the patients with the product they have at hand so i think it's necessary if we want to have this as a more like environmental friendly setting that we need these kind of products we need these kind of alternatives because if you have it in your like and the thing like for healthy people like eating a whole plate of food it's enjoyable it's easy it's nice you want to have that whole plate of like a mountain of food but when you're sick or when you're elderly like it's just too much Mm. So for me to work in this kind of space, I'm very, I'm looking for protein alternatives. Then I think it's the right term to use it because we need this kind of products to be sufficient if the people, and I can say even with animal-based product, it's a problem. They don't get enough protein. So if we want to do it with plant-based product, then it's really like we need more solutions. Which is why I'm in the game, because I want to, you know, give this. You're leading the way, yeah. definitely. So, Trying. yeah, definitely watch this space. We, you know, we talked a lot about plant-based proteins, and it comes to plant-based, meat-based. Most of us get it. We've all consumed meat, and or most of us have consumed meat and vegetables, hopefully, in our lifetime. And we get the taste. So coming on to the health aspect, moving on to the taste, there are other sorts of alternative proteins that we're not familiar with. So... Insects and algae and even lab-grown meats are becoming more trendy alternative meat products. And, you know, taste has been a big driver in the new adoption of these protein alternatives. So, Simone, on based on your experience, like where do you see the space growing on these, and what, what's the word, like wacky alternative <laughs> sources of protein such as insects and algae and lab-grown meat? Do you think this is a trend that's going to be widely adopted anytime soon? There are studies out there and these studies investigated consumer preferences. And one thing is clear, plant-based protein sources are the most accepted. That's the first thing. Hmm. So second, about insects or algae, um, this depends on certain regions or you've been growing up in Asia then it's you're used to eat algae in other places in Asia um, and or Africa you're used to eat insects so for me personally I really I try I try to try these products of um, startups with insect products but I was not yet able to try them so I'm one of these consumers who's really uh, struggling with yeah, 
eating it and at the same time in my mind it's like oh my god this is what I'm eating which is weird but this is like how I grew up in here in Germany I think that especially for insects for example there's a big market for pet food for example so there are various startups using insects um, mealworms for pet food and I think that is amazing and that's great and that works as well and yeah keeps me out of the loop there (laughs) (laughs) I've actually had one of our startups uh, burgers made from insects actually quite tasty I'm surprised so I've been on the receiving end of that and what do you think the industry should do to kind of drive adoption here do you think they should be really pushing on the sustainability benefits, the health benefits, or what, what is it the industry can do more to kind of encourage more and more people to be adopting alternative proteins? Josephine, what do you think? I agree with Simone. I think the culture is where it all starts. I have been approached for the startup with the insects, and for me, I don't have a problem actually eating it, and I think it's a fun taste. But Whenever I try to present it, for example, the kitchen staff, they are very much like, no, 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 we couldn't, no, no, you have it in this product, we cannot, like, it's it's a bit sad to see how much appalled they are, because it's, but again, it's their generation in Danish, like, uh, they didn't eat insects, they haven't, like, they haven't, uh, the history with it. Maybe in the future, if it's like marketing right, or maybe in the paddy, that could help. I know the target group was 20, 30-year-old men that was like, oh, yeah, of course you can eat this and so on and so on. I think maybe, Simone, you know more about the groups that would eat it. But maybe when they grow up and they have the options that they... And also when the price maybe goes a bit down right now, it's quite expensive, that maybe we can see a movement towards actually using insects but as it is right now I think it's a very 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 hard Mm. pitch and do you think as well within this space that technology is going to be playing a big role we see a lot about like 3d food printing and Josephine I was just wondering given your research and the, the sort of patients that you're dealing with I'm wondering you know can you see a time when you will 3D print uh let's just say a burger for example which has got all the right ingredients in it including alternative proteins which is tasty which is delicious which is you know accessible to that particular patient can you see that playing a role in the future i know it's that it's on the way they are actually doing research on this and they have machines for it what i question is if they can afford it Hmm. that's the thing because it's not the same in all of europe but in denmark you have the government supporting the hospital so can we afford it? I hope so. I think it would make patient care so much easier if you can actually apply the specific taste and the nutrient requirement for that patient. That mm. would be the dream. Yeah, I guess the, the price of tech has to come down quite a lot, right? At least for the Danish hospitals. Yeah, and also the price of alternative proteins. I think you make a really good point. Yeah, that's, that's the same. A lot now. Yeah, right. Like the price of the, the nutrients, again, like for the insects, I, I have been approached. I have been company trying to pitch me, oh, can you use this in some kind of way? Then I went to the customer and they were like, no, we don't want anything to do with it. But even if I wanted to do something, then the price of the raw material would be so expensive that I couldn't make any kind of business out of it because mm. it would take all the 
you can say profits. Mm. But but sometimes it's not about what makes profits. So if you have, for example, I think the whole environmental game is not for profits, right? So maybe someday. So with alternative proteins, we've got to nail price, we've got to nail taste, and we've got to nail sustainability and I guess accessibility as well as you know all of those things together, which is not easy. We're coming to the end of the show now, and it would be really nice to wrap up with a few final questions. Um, just a big one. Looking forward, do you ever see a time when we'll only be eating alternative proteins? Or do you think that there will always be a space in here for, for meat-based products, as an example? And Simone, what do you think? Well, there's a very nice report from ING Bank on dairy and meat alternatives, and they calculated the market share until 2050. And still in 2050, we are not yet 100% eating alternative proteins and products from these uh, proteins. I think it will change and it is driven by sustainability and health. And maybe it will change faster than this bank calculated in their report, but it's going to change I don't believe 100%, but I believe that animal-derived products will, their perception in the society will be a different one than it is now, and it has been for the last decades. For the last Mm. decades until now, meat and fish is a luxury um, it's not a luxury product, but you use it if you, you know, if there is a celebration and there's a birthday, there's a party, there's something. Many cannot imagine that you would do something without these products. Mm. And Mind I think shift. this yeah. this is going to change. That's interesting. Thank you. And Josephine, do you agree? I think, I hope actually that we will not go to an only 100% plant-based. Not because I don't think it's... In, the thing is, beforehand, if you ask 50 years ago, oh, um, would you, instead of this red meat, would you ha- like to have some legumes instead? And they will be, no, no, we can't do that. No, 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 we have to have meat. I think it's a, danger- a dangerous road to go down a path where you say, this is the only thing right. I definitely think we should be more about the plant-based diet. I definitely think this is go- should be the majority of our diet because it's research says so, like, it should be. But to say 100% plant-based, I, I, I have a hard time seeing how this could be possible, but maybe. Hmm. We'll see. We'll see. And finally, before we go, just a quick one. What's your favorite source of protein, Josephine? Oh, I actually think milk. I think milk is so great. Like I, I love, uh, I think it's, yeah, I enjoy it so much. Thanks. And you, Simone? Chickpeas. I think they they are great. They are great. They are great in a salad. They're great with pasta. They're great as a soup. But actually, any kind of beans mashed, not mashed in salads, I love them. Mm. Ah, yeah. I, mm. I know I should have said potato. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I was, this was your moment, Josephine. This was your moment. We are still working on the product. Like, it's not like we are almost there, but we of still course. have some work to do on the taste. Of okay, course. We're, we'll get there. I'll be looking out for potato and milk soon. Just yeah. <laughs> uh, one, one more thing to add, which I found really, really um, interesting. I was just recently at the airport and I was charging my phone, and next to me, two very young um, men were like 90 
1920 um, stood next to me and they were also charging their phone and speaking this and that. And then one said to the other, oh, I'm so much looking forward when I'm back home to eat healthy. Mm. And I heard this and I'm like, yeah, actually me as well. And then we started to um, talk to each other and both of them were um, German, highly successful TikTok influencers. And um, it was quite fun to have this conversation. And it's exactly, you know, when we speak about this transformation and what's happening here, then this is the generation that will drive this change. And I was so surprised about this health. I want to eat healthy by a 19, Mm. 20 year old young man. Love that. Yeah, hope for the future. It does. I agree. They will be definitely driving this this healthy and sustainable food future yeah so uh both thank you so much i mean it's been a pleasure chatting today i mean amazing topic and you you know you've both shown so much expertise and i've learned so much from this episode which is great <laughs> always love that um so what's like the next big thing you are focusing on in each of your companies uh so that the listeners can find out more josephine Right now we are experimental again. Um, I have the patients near to my heart and a lot of the patients and elderly have chewing disability. They can't chew food. So what we are working on is making the crumbs and also making some crackers and maybe even some chips like puffs we are calling them, but to the kind of people who have a hard time chewing. Um, Mm. But again, plant-based, protein-rich, delicious. Very keen on the delicious part, actually. I think it should be a joy to eat. Incredible. So, that's, yeah. that's going to be incredible if that's like taken up as a staple hospital stay diet. That sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. And you, Simone? Yeah, well, um, what we want or what our mission is, we are fascinated about nutrition and its effects. And we, we know we have all this data. We know that poor diet is a factor in One in five deaths, we know that if we eat healthy, we can live longer for around 10 years, every one of us. And there's so much data and still we often eat so unhealthy and people don't know about this. So what we want as think tank, as community, we want to become the organizations where companies can actually transform into this future where journalists approach us, which they already do, and they can have insights from experts and also politicians and working with political organizations. So we want this data, which is there, that it finally is applied. And we make this this decade until 2030 what it should be. Um, it should be the transformative decade so nine years to go for the global goals so this is what we want to do wow super ambitious i love it yeah very very worthy and uh you know we wish you both uh, the the most success in the world because it's uh, incredible what you're both doing so uh, congratulations and um where can listeners go for more information uh, about you and your companies on our website nutrition-hub.com or .de Great. Thank you. Josephine? Um, Nutrilution.eu would be the best place to go search for knowledge. Perfect. Brilliant. Thank you both. Thank you both so much. Really enjoyed listening to all of your views. I'd just like to say, Josephine, thank you very much to you. You're welcome. It was a, I enjoyed it. Great stuff. And Simone, big thanks to you too. Thank you very much. 
This has been the Food Fight Podcast. As ever, if you'd like to find out more, head over to the EIT Food website at www.eitfood.eu and join the conversation via hashtag EIT Food Fight on our Twitter channel at EIT Food. And if you haven't already, please hit the follow button so that you never miss an episode. That's it for now. Thanks for listening, everyone. Mm-hmm.